Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. This week's program, Unmanned Oklahoma. Uh, But before we bring on our guest, I'd like to uh, introduce myself. I'm your humble program host, Mr. Patrick Egan. And uh, now we'll say our customary hello and welcome to the best co-host in UAS and Spectra Award winner, Mr. Gene Robinson. Well, hello, Patrick. I don't know how you expect me to be humble after all that. Um, but no, uh, hello, and and uh, I'm hoping that uh, you're doing well on your end. Doing good. Um, still really busy. Lots going on, and uh, that leads us to our you know usual um, first segment question is is uh what news stories caught your attention this week again uh you were in a few news stories but i know we we talked a little earlier this morning about um a piece of news that came out and i think your your clams were a little steamed so maybe we'll launch into that one i don't know go ahead yeah you know the executive order thing has been uh bandied about quite a bit here recently uh in the media and, you know, you never really think about it too much because an executive order doesn't seem to affect you much in one way or the other. And by golly, this one landed right square in our laps. And if uh, if anybody has anything to do with unmanned aircraft or the dreaded drones, as they say, this one is going to affect you, especially if you're a private operator because uh, – now we've got uh, the administration assigning yet another very large government entity to determine what the privacy requirements will be for drone aircraft. And uh, as you and I both know, we've served on committees and we've uh, volunteered with uh, many of these groups. And uh, these things can take years to develop. It takes them forever just to assemble who is going to be on the committee, much less get anything done. And to me, this is another delaying tactic, or it could be utilized as another delaying tactic to keep unmanned aircraft out of the NAS. And it is, it's just making me nuts at how they excel at finding ways to slow the process down. Yeah, uh, it is frustrating. Um, I I read uh, the article on that, and I think it looks great. Um, No, (laughs) I think it's going to be another uh, few wasted years of life on a committee with uh, a government, um, let's say, body that really doesn't understand the technology, what we do, how we do it. 
et cetera, ad nauseum, uh, kind of like the FAA and unmanned aircraft systems. Um, unfortunately, you know, this, these are the, the roadblocks that they throw out there. I, I, you know, I, I try to remind people that most people that are in business, when you're in business, there's kind of an efficiency thing. And most people that are serious and that are going to be in business and go out and do this are out there and the clock is ticking. We're going to make money. So really, I think that the people where you're going to really have a privacy issue is probably, you know, the, the, the uh, and I hate to call them this again, but the Yahoo that buys some system on the Internet for $300 or, you know, whatever and goes out there and goes, oh, you know, it might be funny to peer over my neighbor's fence. Well, that might get you a sock in the nose. And I think or the eye or somewhere else. But I think that that'll probably work itself out. Uh, most people have already, you know, most, you know, your business practices, you don't want to create any trouble or problems for yourself. So you're going to operate in a responsible manner. So I do think it might be something that's just going to add another layer or more time to us getting into the NAS. So I kind of agree with you on that one, Gene. Anything else catch your attention? Well, you know, I was in a couple of meetings yesterday with some uh, uh, municipality officials, and they were talking about how really we were in on the ground floor when we were talking about doing this 10 years ago. And it it made me kind of laugh a little bit because it was their perspective. Because there were people, you know, back in my era, you know, in in Vietnam that were flying drones back then. And uh, for folks. It's kind of like personal computers, I guess. When when folks kind of look at drones now, and and ten years ago was the ground floor, and it really wasn't. But the perspective and and the the use of them has changed so dramatically that they're now in the modern vernacular. And you know, hardly a day goes by when you don't hear a story about some sort of drone use. And well, it's kind it's, of. Go ahead, finish your thought. Well, I mean, it, it's grown so exponentially in the last few years that it's going to be here with us, and it, it's not going away. It is not going away, but I did notice something else interesting, and this is just another, you know, commentary on kind of what's going on in this in the ecosystem, as it were. Um, you know, so we we just had the uh, the the special interpretation come out for model aircraft in the United States, which is very draconian. I, there's other stories are, are starting to filter out, kind of from the community about this, but I don't think people understand the ramifications um, of really what went down. But uh, interesting to note. So I've got a few um, contacts with some of the major networks and and um, newspapers and whatever else. And I said, hey, you know, this might be a good story of how there's a little, let's say, uh, collateral damage to the, let's say, hobbyist, uh, the person that would go out and just fly on the weekend or whatever. As far as I'm concerned, this kind of what's going on here. Now, those people are, are really got... Um, I'm trying to think, you know, since this is a family program, I have a good word for that. But their their hobby is going to change, even though the FAA repeatedly assured them that it wasn't going to change. Upshot on this is that I can't get anyone or any interest in the story about the hobbyist. So it's it shows me that the way that, that uh, the mainstream, let's say, society is viewing this is that all of this stuff is a drone. There is no hobbyist. It's just the drone. You've got to watch out for the drone, and we don't know exactly who's using it and what they're using it for or how they're using it. And I think that that kind of uh, goes back into what you were talking about, and this 
hyper evolution of, of, of application and, and how things are uh, put in the air and fielded and used. Yeah, yep, that's a good point. And uh, we're all being lumped together, and, and that's unfortunate because it's just not the case. It is not the case. And, I, you know, again, I go back and I think, well, you know, the people that are, uh, you know, say hobbyists or part of an association or, a, you know, a group or understand this or pilots or other people, they understand the rules of the NAS and how to kind of be responsible. Uh, a lot of what's happening is, is, you know, some people call it the democratization of the technology is going out there that you can order them anywhere. You can go to the mall and buy them. I mean, I was at the state fair, you know, the guy had the booth and uh you know he was he was drone dealing you know it had these those helicopters and quads with with cameras on them they're just you know chinese knockoff 150 dollar systems you know technically it's it's a drone you know so uh kind of weird how that's all getting out there to, again i think of it a lot like the cb radio thing of the 70s you know hey wait a minute what are you doing and it's too late right we got trucker movies out there which reminds me, too, is it looks like someone's going to start a drone reality TV show. I nominated you, Gene, as a, a possible um, subject for the television program. You're so helpful, Patrick. You know I've been on a couple of reality TV shows already, and you know there is no such thing as a reality TV show. Oh, you sound jaded. I, and it was a Bigfoot thing. Was that bad? <laughs> Did you have to bring that up? I well, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I like Bigfoot. Um, anyway, so I think that there's a few things uh, that we could glean out of that. But I, I, the show would be interesting. I think it would be good to have somebody on there responsible. So that's why I na- nominated you. All right. Well, anyway, so uh, let, we've, we've uh, that was an enjoyable chat. But let's bring on our guest. And uh, today's guest is the Oklahoma Secretary of Science and Technology, Dr. Stephen McKeever. Hello, sir. Good morning to both of you. Nice to be here. Well, it's finally nice to have you on the show. We've uh, actually played, let's say, schedule tag for quite some time, tried to get you on here. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad to have you here. Possibly, uh, Dr. McKeever, you could introduce yourself to the SUS News podcast audience. Give us a little bio and how you got involved with unmanned aircraft systems. Well, uh, for sure. Uh, As your introduction said, I'm the Science and Technology Secretary here for the state of Oklahoma. And in that capacity, one of my responsibilities is to develop the UAS industry within the state for the benefit of all different sectors of the state. I guess the way I got into this was when I became appointed as the secretary by Governor Fallon. Prior to that, my background is just in uh, radiation, uh, radiation detectors and sensors, so nothing to do with UAS. But this became a very important technology issue for the state, so I threw myself into it, and here I am. And I must say, it's been terrifically enjoyable. I have really learned a lot, met some terrific people. And I think this is a subject that is of such importance to the not just our state, but the nation as a whole, that it's something that I'm, I'm very pleased to be a part of. Well, you won't get any disagreement from me. I, I believe this, is, this technology is... Uh 
you know, it offers efficiency to um, uh, just a whole host of industries. But now you said, you know, you, you were into uh, radiation sensing. Now, of course, I'm sure you've, you've thought about putting radiation sensors on drones. Oh, indeed we have. Uh, I think the um, Fukushima tragedy for a couple of years ago was a perfect example of how radiation detectors on UAS could be used uh, very beneficially. You can't get people to get close to these uh, high-activity sources, so unmanned vehicles are the perfect way to go. Right. And, you know, that also ties into I talk to people a lot. I'm kind of an advocate of commercial space. I think there's a lot yeah. of opportunity in commercial space. Um, and but talking to people about that, and this is probably another radiation thing, because they say a lot of times, well, you know, why would an unmanned systems guy be at a commercial space show? And I say, well, you know, until we lick that radiation problem, a lot of things yeah. that go into deep space are going to be unmanned, uh, you yeah. know. Just saying, unless you come up with a tracksuit that uh, reflects radiation. Yeah, actually, I've done quite a bit of work in uh, space radiation, too, for that, that, the very reason that you mentioned. Hey, are we, and I know we're getting a little off the track, but this is kind of a yeah. subject where you're an expert, but, uh, you know, the uh, space thing, are we getting any closer to, to overcoming that, uh, that problem? Yes, we are, uh, with new materials especially that will help protect the astronauts and with a lot more knowledge about how radiation affects the human body, um, I think we will be able to overcome those issues. Excellent, because, uh, you know, that is, that, that's probably the main showstopper. Uh, well, there's a few showstoppers, but that one's a pretty nasty bit of showstop. So that's good, to, encouraging to hear. Well, uh, you know, we were supposed to talk at Farnborough, and uh, I, I, I had some logistical issues <laughs> with parking everywhere I went. Nope, can't park here. And uh, so I didn't, I wasn't able to make our appointment, right. and we were busy with someone else. But, um, you know, I, I had my own impressions about the Farnborough event, uh, but I would uh, I'd, I'd like to hear some of your impressions. I know you guys, you had the booth there. I did make it to the booth. Um, what, what, what were you hearing at Farnborough? Yeah, it, it was an interesting show this year. The, the Farnborough and the, uh, the Paris Air shows have always been very exciting shows for us to attend. We've done that for the last uh, four years. This one I detected to be a little different. One of the big issues, the, uh, or big uh, differences that I saw is that I, I just felt the attendance was down. I don't know, I, I don't have... And numbers, so I can't quantify that for you, but especially on the first day, I, it just seemed that the show never really got started in some sense. We still managed to have some very good meetings, and indeed our schedules were back-to-back -back all the way through, um, but nevertheless, the, uh, the, the excitement seemed to be down a notch. I also noticed that the military presence was less than it has been in previous years, uh, a lot to do with what's happening uh, around the world at the moment. Um, I noticed that there was a lot of discussion among U.S. companies in particular about the sales for future years being primarily overseas. Now, this is in aerospace in general. In UAS in particular, 
the big concern is why isn't the United States allowing commercial operations whereas the rest of the world is. And in fact, uh, talking with my colleagues from other countries, um, some of them were really disparaging about the slowness of the United States. Well, you know, we don't disparage the FAA here at the uh, SUS News Podcast. <coughs> um, I will, I have to agree with you that um, the mood, you know, the mood in aviation is changing. I think everyone agrees that uh, the future of aviation is unmanned. Um, I will say that the companies that uh, and representatives that I talked to in uh, that were say um, locals or from the UK were very encouraged by CAA UK's um, let's say working with them their integration effort being a two-way street and uh, you know yeah. there was a new um, uh, piece of news that they put out about the sub 20 kilos and whatever else and this thing is not you know it was a pragmatic approach and i've always said that about the caa uk they're, they're very approachable um you know okay i mean i talked to them about flying a 75 foot unmanned blimp at the olympics and they're like okay well you know come and talk to us let's see your safety case i mean in the in the, in the united states the faa would have just said uh again it's a family show but we'll just say they would have said no so everybody was right. kind of upbeat on that uh they were upbeat business is 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 booming we're hiring people it's great um the public is starting to realize uh, the benefits of this technology which i kind of expected I will say, yes, the crowd was kind of down, um, and I also kind of think that we are, uh, this, let's say, unmanned aircraft thing is kind of leaving that maybe the, let's say, the major um, aerospace kind of Boeing, Airbus kind of world. You agree with that or mm -hmm. disagree? I, uh, I do. I do. Uh, every media interview that I had, which... Um, it, Oklahoma was there ostensibly to talk about the aerospace industry in general in Oklahoma, but every media interview that I had, they only wanted to talk about one topic, and that was amend systems, and how we saw the industry developing, how we saw Oklahoma's role, uh, what we saw as the major obstacles, et cetera, et cetera. I had the same conversations multiple times, but that was it. That's all they wanted to know about. Well, and, you know, that kind of segues into the next question here. And I wanted to talk about Oklahoma and unmanned systems. I mean, you have a very pro-UAS governor in uh, Governor Mary Fallon. And, yes. I mean, I, I, you know, if you want to swap her out for Jerry Brown, <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't, uh, yeah, I'm sure you guys want to keep her. Um, but, uh, you know, what is, uh, you know, I mean... What's behind this? I know, you know Oklahoma's been pro unmanned systems, and and maybe you could kind of give us the the ethos of of you know why this is. Yeah, well, when you look at the major industries within Oklahoma, you you start off listing aerospace, of course. That's our, I think, our third largest in industry, but then the biggest industry is oil and gas and energy in general. Then we have agriculture. Then not far behind is transportation, uh, defense and security. And if you were to pick out the major industries that would benefit from the development of unmanned systems, you would pick out energy, agriculture, transportation, 
defense and security. In other words, this is a topic that will benefit all of our industry sectors, not to mention the fact that it's the fastest growing area within the aerospace sector anyway. So when you put those factors together, it's frankly a no-brainer that Oklahoma should be engaged in this development. Now you add to that the fact that we have had education, training, and R&D programs in unmanned aircraft uh, since the mid-90s. We've had a, an extensive program at Oklahoma State University developing the engineering aspects of these systems, training students, all of whom just get snapped up by the uh, aerospace and unmanned system community. There's uh, no problem with employment for them. So we've been doing that for such a long while that when it became, uh, how can I say, popular, um, then it was obvious that Oklahoma needed to be at the forefront. And that, that's that's how it happened, and that's how uh, that's why over the last three four years we've been really pushing it. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, you you see it for like you said, those uh, um, industries in Oklahoma are kind of the low hanging fruit, as it were, for unmanned aircraft systems. And but you're also, yeah. I mean, I was going to ask that question if you were exporting it, but obviously it sounds like uh, through the education system you are developing engineers and whatever that are already, let's say, ready to go in this field. Um, so that's right. You know, and and this is this is interesting. You know, to, to delve down in that because I'm a little little ways away here in California. But um, now I I know you guys were a let's say proponent for uh, the test center initiative, and you guys d- didn't get a test center. But uh, right. so what what what's the go forward plan on on that? Well, an interesting part of that uh, test site competition was that we had just, just before that was announced, just written our strategic plan for the development of the unmanned aerial system sector in Oklahoma. And becoming one of those FAA test sites was never part of our plan. We had, prior to that, become a test site for the Department of Homeland Security. So we already are a federal UAS test site, and uh, that's an active and ongoing program and we hope it will continue for several years yet. So the need to become an FAA test site was not really strong. Obviously, we we felt we could compete for it, and we did. Uh, But our view of not getting it is that the bad news was that we didn't get selected, but the good news is that we didn't get selected because it, it allows us to be more flexible and put our efforts and our focus on the applications and the education and training, whereas we would have been perhaps tied a little too much into the development of the technologies for safe integration into the NAS. One day, we really will be able to operate commercially. That day will come. And when it comes, we want to be in the position that uh, if you want to know how to do it, Oklahoma is the place to come. So, and, and you're talking about uh, at Fort Fort Sill, what the, the testing at Fort Sill? Is that what you're referring to? 
Uh, indeed, uh, we have been. That's where the DHS program has been, with a wonderful arrangement with the uh, Secretary of the Army, uh, all the way down through uh, at Fort Sill, who have been magnificent to work with. Now, with a, a more recent development, however, is that we are indeed working with the FAA to extend the program into the NAS. Um, we've not not got the final paperwork done yet on all of that, but we're excited by the progress. And this is a, a three-way partnership, a collaboration between the state, the Department of Homeland Security, and the FAA. And so you you actually have a little bit of uh, flexibility with the program at uh, at Fort Sill. Is that is that what I'm getting here? Um, what we are working. Uh, we've had to change the operational parameters that we had previously used. Previously, through the agreement uh, with the Army, we had been able to operate there quite freely as long as our focus had been on issues of relevance to defense and security. So if somebody, for example, wanted to, oh, to test um, a de delivery of a small package or to test crop spraying, that we couldn't have handled that. Our agreement was defense and security related issues only. But mm. now um, the uh, Department of Defense have changed the operational parameters a little and we will still be able to operate but we have a, uh, have to do it through a different mechanism now and that if we are working for a DOD customer for example that customer has to have an MOU with the Army to be able to operate in the restricted airspace but this has all coincided with the intent and desire of the Department of Homeland Security to extend the program from the restricted airspace into the national airspace. And we have a site located for that. And as I say, we're working with the FAA to get that done. All right. Well, that's excellent. And, uh, you know, it sounds like the uh, scope's broadened a little bit. We did have uh, Dr. Uh, Appleby um, actually came and spoke at the first uh, Small Unmanned Systems Business Expo. In, um, right. Yes. Yes. And uh, that was informative to see what they were doing there and uh, talked about all of the aircraft that they were going to um, test. And, uh, and I guess they were trying to compile a list of different aircraft um, uh, capabilities and applications and whatnot. And is that work still continuing? Yes, it is. Um, in John, John Appleby, in his words, we we were trying to, or they were trying to develop um, a sort of consumer report on the different uh, capabilities of different systems, such that if, for example, a law enforcement agency or a fire department or any kind of first responder unit wished to uh, purchase one of these systems, they would be able to look at this online report and assess how the different systems behave under different circumstances. And that, that was the primary goal of the program and still is. Well, that's probably uh, a good move because uh, as Gene and I kind of were talking about this morning too, there's uh, a lot of people that believe, you know, you could 
one drone does everything, which is not really the case. Not the case. <laughs> it is. It's a, a funny thing that we're running into with that. I, you know, oh, I've got a million acres I want to survey. Well, you know, you can't do that with a quadcopter. Well, you could. Right. It's just going to take you a little bit of time. <laughs> You'll have to recharge right. a few batteries, you know. But um, and and so, um, are you you know with all of this forward thinking, are you uh, trying to attract businesses to move to Oklahoma? Um, that that want to be in this field, besides having a a, a a governor who's trying to make it a business friendly state. I mean, are are people coming to Oklahoma? Uh, we're getting a lot of interest. The, there are several of the major manufacturers, not just in the UAS business, but in the aerospace business in general, who are uh, locating parts of their operations in Oklahoma, but specifically in UAS. We have conversations all the while where people are looking at how this how this whole thing is developing. As you know, we're in a very strange situation here at the moment in that there's a lot of technology out there, a lot of capability, a lot of entrepreneurs ready and waiting to go to build businesses. And yet, until we have rules and regulations, that we can that that we know we have to operate within, then the market has not developed yet. And until there's a market, it's hard to see how this whole thing is developing. So we are trying to position Oklahoma such that when that market does develop, we would be a go-to state. Excellent. And do you have a website where people can learn about what's going on in Oklahoma? Probably several websites that would cover the UAS, but uh, the first website I would recommend would be our Department of Commerce website. Um, and people can probably Google that. Uh, Google it, yes. Oklahoma Department of Commerce, and that, that would uh, uh, set them off in the right direction. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm glad uh, that we finally got you on the show. It was worse, uh, all the uh, the scheduling to get you here. And, uh, you know, maybe you're going to have to come out to the uh, Small Unmanned Systems Business Expo next year and give us an update. So, you know, keep that in mind. We'd love well, to have you come Patrick. out. Thank you, Patrick. I would love to do that. All right, well, let's keep that in mind for next year. Um, again, you know, thanks so much for being on, uh, Dr. McKeever. We, we appreciate your insight. And, Gene, um, thank you. I will, uh, and we, I guess we'll see everyone next week. Uh, very good, and it's been my pleasure. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.